Maniacs, welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I'm your host, Dave, and I hope everybody is hanging in there and getting by and finding ways to pass the time while we're all doing our best to look out for our fellow humans by staying at home as much as possible, limiting contact, uh, utilizing social media and all these different ways of, you know, physical presence is important, but now is not the time. We have to find other ways to stay in touch. And then you've got things like Skype and Zoom and uh, I'm trying one out that I actually can't remember what it's called right now, but we're we're working on something to do an April commentary. Uh, you know, with technology being what it is, there are ways that we can talk and stay in touch and have real-time connections without being in the same room, which isn't the same. It's just not. But now it's very important that we we smother this thing and we we be responsible humans and don't be idiots and go out when you don't really need to. Uh, so there you go. And And in the interest of that... Since there's not really any news this week, uh, I guess a tiny bit of news is is that a ton, it's not really tiny, a ton of new uh, WWE figures were revealed prior to WrestleMania last weekend, and uh, you can find those on WWE.com or like anywhere you find wrestling figures. There's some cool stuff there. And WrestleMania itself was, I think, outstanding for what WWE had to work with. I'm very impressed with some of the risks that they took. I'm very impressed with the shows that they put on. Two nights felt good to me. It didn't feel like too much. Each night left me wanting uh, more. Not necessarily like the first night main event was amazing. The second night main event was basically a dry turd. But if you expected more than that out of Brock Lesnar, then you haven't been paying attention. Uh which isn't really fair. He's had great match. Like, that Daniel Bryan match was great, but this was not going to be a great match. And it's not Drew McIntyre's fault. It's, I, I don't know whose fault it is, but it was lame. Uh, anyway, though, I said there was no news. There's no news. So instead, I am going to talk about some life stuff. Do you like that? The urgency of that sting? I, I've I've got all kinds of new little musical cues. Because what I found out is every single time I use a song from our friends the Mystery Men, YouTube hits me up with an attribution and tells me that I cannot make money off that video. Now granted, I'm not making any money off of any of the Needless Things podcasts that are up on YouTube anyway. But someday, something might click. It might get some views it might become a thing and so now the opportunity on dozens and dozens of episodes of the needless things podcast uh would require more effort and and investigation than i probably have in myself to you know all i need is a note saying yes he can use this which they obviously they gave me permission to use the mystery men music 
but but who knows what that process would be, how long it would take YouTube to verify, what would go on with it. I, I don't know. I don't want to find out. Uh, the chances of ever making money off of YouTube are incredibly slim. I'd say 870,000 billion zillion to one. But just for the time being, I'm using music that requires no attribution, uh, that has no copyright attached to it, and going forward, that's what I'll be doing. Uh, so, that's I guess that was life thing number one. Uh, I want to know what you guys are doing. I want you to join the Needless Things Podcast Facebook group and just get in there and, and share... Uh, websites that you're finding, shows that you're streaming, things that are keeping you occupied, ways that you're hanging out with your family. Last night, uh, I sat down with Phantom Jr., and we played Escape from a Death Star, which is the accurate title of the game. It's the, the Obviously, this is the reissued version that you can walk into Target uh, on a necessary grocery run. And there are dozens of copies of this game sitting around. And if you don't grab one, it's 20 bucks. It comes with a Grand Moff Tarkin figure that you may or may not want, but it's a neato Grand Moff Tarkin figure. But for 20 bucks, you can get this really, really fun board game uh, that we played three times in a row last night. That We were enjoying it so much. And I guarantee at some point you're going to be kicking yourself for not getting it. You're a real dum-dum if you don't grab a copy of this game. Uh, it's fun. It's from like the... It, it came out when A New Hope came out. Uh, I played it countless times when I was a kid and discovered that I think uh, maybe my granny and papa were dumbing it down a little bit because it was way more... It's, it's not complicated at all, but it was way more complicated than I remembered. But like I said, we had a blast playing it. Uh, three times through, and then we played uh, Nightmare Before Christmas chess with a chess set that I got from Burlington Coat Factory back at Christmas time for like eight or ten bucks. I think it's a it's a great starter chess set. All the pieces are really nice little PVC sculptures of various Nightmare Before Christmas characters, uh, and I sat down and I taught. Uh, Phantom Jr. how to play chess and he, he we, well I say I taught him how to play chess we we did the, the basics we played through one game in which he beat me which did not surprise me but did dishearten me just a little bit about my own personal skills but I'm rusty I haven't played chess in 30 years maybe maybe uh, yeah that's probably accurate so uh, but we had fun doing that and then we played a game called the cat game which I thought was could just called cats but it's called the cat game I think it was exclusive to Target. Uh, I don't know if it's still available or not. I got... uh, No, that was the dog game. But anyway, it's this game where you've got 18 different cutouts of cats. It's double-sided, so they can be facing in either direction. And a a board with a film on it, like a a clear film, like an old-school... What are those called? The transparencies that you project up on the wall. Uh, Anyway... You put the film on top of however many cats you need to represent what you're representing. You draw a card, and it's either a film, an activity, or a person, I think. And you have to draw with a with a erasable marker on top of the cat. So you draw a little hat on the cat. Or like for me, uh, I got Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and I drew one cat with long hair and a crucifix and a big stake because it was posed like it was stabbing with a stake. And then I drew another one with fangs. 
Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Like, it's it's so much fun. We played that for a while. So things like this. Do these things. If you're lucky enough to have loved ones in your house that... Uh, and look, I know they're equal parts uh, driving you crazy and fortunate that you have somebody there because this is what I think about is the people who are living alone, who don't have any human contact. Uh, and, you know, some of us are okay like that. Some of us maybe aren't. And it's got to be really hard on those folks. So let's let's be sure that uh, we're keeping an eye out on our, our single friends as well the people out there who've chosen maybe a more solitary life but right now that life is more solitary than they wanted uh and let, let's let's share these things with them uh you could play cats online i thought about this last night when i was putting pictures of it up on instagram uh you you could actually you both people or all players would need to have a copy of it but not necessarily you could just do the guessing portion of it because that's what we did we just went back and forth trying to guess what the other one was drawing uh, I, I don't know. There, there are things we can do, things we can figure out because of the technology that we have. Uh, in other life news, I've been binging lots of 80s cartoons. I'm hoping to do an 80s cartoon episode soon, kind of talking about what we've been watching. But for me, it's mostly been uh, G.I. Joe, a Real American Hero, and because I've got the big footlocker that Shout Factory put out years ago, probably 10 years ago now, maybe more. Uh, and then, I'll, but they're also available on YouTube. I feel like I have to say that now, so everybody can watch them if you want to. Uh, I don't know if they're all on YouTube, but a lot of them are on YouTube, and they were put up by Hasbro, so they're they're good. They look good. They're nice transfers. Um, and then uh, on Disney Plus, I've been watching the 1981 Spider-Man cartoon, and then from the and I didn't realize they were from the same year. Uh, Spider-Man and his amazing friends which has, like, every Marvel character ever, including Juggernaut with no pants and a really confusing interpretation of Storm with it's her original costume, but it's white with a black cape, which is weird, uh, and Wolverine with an Australian accent, which I did not remember that originated here. I thought that was just in Pride of the X-Men, but... We get old Wolvie with his Australian accent in an episode of Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends. I think it's the Firestar Origin episode, which is really interesting. They do uh, all three of their origins in a row within the series. So you get Iceman, Spider-Man, and Firestar. uh, Because prior to this, they hadn't done spider-man's origin they just started the cartoon because back in 1981 apparently people understood everybody knows who spider-man is how he got his powers we don't really need to cover it uh and i don't know how we lost that over the intervening 30 years but or excuse me oh jeez, oh 40 years oh um but yeah, they they didn't they got halfway through the series before they even went into origin, and they only did it because they were connecting it with Iceman and Firestar's origin stories, which I thought was a really cool trifecta of episodes, or, or trilogy of episodes, whatever. Uh, but it's it's a fun show. I I have been thoroughly entertained uh, with with all of that. All those cartoons have been really great. Uh, we need to catch up on Briar Patch, which sagged a little bit in the middle, but has gotten good again. I think we're a couple episodes behind now. Uh, but there's there's so much available to us, but it's funny how even with the variety of things, you can get bored and complacent. Uh, one of the things that's been keeping me going is this DDP yoga that I've mentioned to you guys. 
Uh, I've been doing it every, like, I've been sticking to my schedule. It's not daily. It could be daily. I'm just not ready for daily yet. Uh, but I do, when you go into the DDP Yoga app and you go to my program, it, it you go and look at your schedule for the week, and it tells you each workout that you're doing each day that you're doing it. Uh, yesterday, I was supposed to do something called the Diamond Dozen. It's about a 45-minute workout where it runs you through all of the different moves or all of the major moves that DDP uses through the DDP yoga program. And it's, so it's a tutorial and a workout and you do it every once in a while. And it kind of refreshes you on the proper form and everything for these, because it's easy as you go through the individual workouts to sort of lose, lose your form a little bit. Uh, if, if you've been doing a modification, which, which I have had to do, I've gotten to the point now uh, there's a standing split that is part of the most basic workouts, and it, it's where you have one leg bent in front of you, and you lean down and put your hands on the mat and raise your other leg behind you. I don't know if you can visualize that. I don't know if I did a good enough job of explaining it, but for somebody who is like I, and look, I'm going to go ahead and use the word was, for somebody who is like I was, five weeks ago and not very flexible and not very active uh that's a position you can't just get into and i was i was using a folding chair and hanging on to that folding chair while i was raising my leg up and i don't have to do that anymore Uh, i can now do that standing split uh but it's good to look at that diamond dozen and see the form that i'm supposed to have because i've been modifying it for weeks you know first first on the chair um first and then next on the block there's a little yoga block thing and then next on the mat and then to go back and look and see how i'm supposed to hold my leg up and all that it's it's very helpful so anyway yesterday was the diamond dozen i was supposed to follow it up with fat burner 2.0 which is the most intense workout i've done i've done yet i I hate it but i also love it because when i'm done with it i feel good and i look at my heart rate and everything and i see that each time i do it i'm getting better and more productive uh, I was supposed to do both of those yesterday, but unfortunately I had to go and pick up a new lawnmower and six heavy, filthy, wet bags of rocks for a landscaping project that Mrs. Troublemaker is doing in the backyard. And thank the Lord for her because she is into doing all of that stuff. I hate being outside. Well, I know it's not fair. I hate being outside doing work. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of being outside at all, unless it's very specific circumstances. But I hate being outside doing work. I don't care about the yard uh, as long as the grass is a reasonable length. I don't care where it is, what it looks like. I don't care what the bushes or trees or anything look like, uh, as long as it doesn't look like an abandoned property. I don't. I have no desire whatsoever to to sculpt and enhance our landscape surrounding our home. And uh, fortunately for me, uh, my lovely wife is into that stuff. But uh, I am the uh, when when she needs six heavy bags of rocks, I am the provider. So I thinking that placing an online order and requesting curbside pickup would mean that I bought all of these things online. Oh, by the way, I had to buy a new lawnmower because our old one caught on fire because it couldn't handle... Well, I don't know why exactly. 
Uh, and, and really, at this point, does it matter? Fire was involved. The lawnmower is done. Uh, so we needed a new lawnmower. Uh, so I placed the order online for the lawnmower in the six huge, dirty, wet bags of rocks and assumed that I would show up at Lowe's for the curbside pickup, that they would bring these items to the curb, I would put them in my car, and I would leave. This is not what happened. I showed up at Lowe's, and there was no evidence whatsoever of any kind of curbside anything. So I went inside, and I had my mask on. Uh, I have not been able to acquire gloves, but I am being very thorough with washing my hands and as best I can. And that's that's one thing about the circumstances that we have right now. I think we all have to understand you have to do the best you can. No, you cannot 100% protect yourself self from uh, contamination. You just can't. Uh, we have to go to the store and get food and stuff. We have to do certain things, but you do the best you can. Uh, every time you get back in the car, you wash your hands. Every time you, you've, I've got wipes in the car. I've got hand sanitizer in the car. Yesterday, uh, I, I did a thorough wipe down and then I sanitized my hands. Uh, is it protecting me a hundred percent? No, of course it's not, but I'm doing the best I can. So anyway, I go inside and I, they have the little spots on the floor six feet apart. None of the employees are wearing any kind of PPE, nothing, which makes no sense to me because this is a hardware store. Uh, but they do have these, uh, sort of sneeze shield things they've constructed these boxes around the registers. So at least that's something. Uh, but I, I show her my phone. She grabs my phone out of my hand. I'm like, wow, is that really necessary? Uh, looks at my phone, says, okay, we'll have somebody get these for you. I was in that store for 45 minutes waiting for these people to bring me a lawnmower and six giant heavy wet bags of rocks that I could have just showed up at the store, gone and gotten myself and been in and out in probably 20 minutes. Uh, this, this online thing, one, the curbside pickup was horse shit. And two, uh, it took me over twice as long to do it this way as it would have if I just showed up at the store. So that was pretty infuriating. I didn't enjoy that at all. That took up, because uh, you have to drive to the store. You have to do all that. Uh, and then I had to go to... The, here's here's a good one for you. I can't... I hope this happened since I recorded last, and I didn't already tell you guys about this. Uh, maybe I did, because I feel like I remember talking about cops. But anyway, a cop pulled me over told me I had a headlight out, which seems like not the best thing for a cop to be doing right now. Like, really? A headlight out? I, I was traveling... I mean, I was a little over the speed limit, but not to the point where a cop would pull you over. So he pulls me over, tells me I've got a headlight out. Great. Now's a great time for you to make this extraneous stop and to make me have to make an extraneous trip to an auto store to buy a headlight, uh, which I did yesterday. Also got the headlight. Had no idea how difficult or not difficult it was going to be to put into the car. Uh, but fortunately, the uh, Toyota RAV4 takes about a minute less than a minute to switch out a headlight bulb it was beautiful i loved it switched it out that took no time uh and, and we also have a water pressure problem in the house so we had uh fortunately my brother-in-law is a heating and air guy and knows quite a good bit about plumbing as well so he came in checked out the hot, uh, hot water heater it looks like nothing is wrong with the system integrity he put a pressure gauge on the back of the house so we can check it out anytime we want to he said to let him know if it was exceeded whatever uh 
just yesterday was a lot of grown up annoying adult stuff very expensive and we also have the ongoing process of having the master bathroom repaired which is uh i I, whatever our deductible is that's got to be taken care of and then there's this whole other lots of ongoing adult stuff that i is really impinging on my time of watching gi joe and Spider-Man and his amazing friends, and playing Red Dead Redemption 2, which is... I don't think I can call it the greatest video game of all time, but it's definitely one of my top five favorite video games that I have ever played. I am blown away by how engaged I am with this game, how compelling I find it. It's, It's just amazing. And I think the most important thing about it is I have yet to find a major flaw. There is, I can't think of anything that I have a problem with with this game, which is incredible. So, that's that's a little slice of life stuff. Uh, I mentioned before that I think you should join the Needless Things Podcast Facebook group. Share what you're doing. Share how you're getting by, um, and just share time together. Get in there and and comment on posts and stuff. I, I'm really bad about not doing that as much as I should. But uh, there's there's a lot going on that isn't Facebook. I've actually been pretty good about limiting my Facebook time lately, uh, which is weird. I feel like I've been on there less now than I was before. But get in that Facebook group. There are a lot of awesome people in there. You can talk directly with the Needless Things or regulars uh, and, and let us know what you're up to, what you're doing. And if you check right now, there is an announcement i wanted to say a pinned post but they're not pinned posts anymore they're announcements now there is an announcement about a q a for next week i am currently still taking questions i think honestly that i'm full up for the next episode but for the time being i think the q a's are going to become a regular feature because of how things are right now so get in there ask me a question about anything toys movies music pop culture dorkery quarantine stuff whatever comes to mind throw a question in there and i promise you at some point i will get to that question so there you go there's a there's a whole big batch of life all right phantom maniacs while life isn't always fun you know what is James Bond. You know who is? Mr. Mike Gordon, our very special guest today. Mike and I sit down and have I have a lot of ideas for James Bond episodes, but this time we just sat down and had kind of a spur of the minute. I, I had a few notes, but uh, just had a spur of the minute conversation about James Bond. We talk about toys and books and all the just everything. It's a lot of fun. We had we had a great time. It was over before we knew it. We could have gone much longer, but like I said, I have other ideas for James Bond episodes that I kind of want to save. And the reason we're doing this episode now is I say spur of the moment. I had planned a James Bond episode for this Friday because No Time to Die was originally releasing today. Obviously, it's not. Uh, it got pushed back. So this was this was going to be a different kind of James Bond episode, but now we'll do that one later in the year. Today, you get to just have some fun and listen to two guys 
who love James Bond talk about James Bond. Mike Gordon. Howdy. In these uncertain times, there is one thing that we can be sure of. And it's not that the new James Bond movie is going to come out on time. No. But it is that whatever the circumstance, we can sit down in our pajamas and have a conversation on Skype. Absolutely. Uh, I had asked you last week about doing a a sort of catch-all James Bond episode where we just talked about the franchise uh just whatever we wanted to bring up we'd talk about and today seemed like the day yeah well um it no time to not talk about james bond <laughs> it's true <laughs> i know that was that was pretty weak but that's uh, okay it's okay any, any uh yeah i was trying to think of a bond title too but speaking of bond titles that's not a bad segue because i've got a few before we get into our conversation, I've got a few things I want to run by you, and I want to see... I need your approval. Okay. I need you to judge my my list here, My a few things I've got. So, uh, if you're ready... I'm, I'm always ready to judge. All right. Uh, number one, the man with the Gordon gun. <laughs> number two... Wow. Tomorrow Never Gordons. Number three, The Gordon Who Loved Me. Well, okay. (laughs) Number four, Gordon I. Gordon I. Okay. I think we have a winner. Number five, A View to a Gordon. Okay. Alternatively, A Gordon to a Kill. A Gordon to a Kill. (laughs) Uh, Next is... Gordon Finger. <laughs> can can we say that? Uh, can we print that? <laughs> Gordons are forever. Gordons are forever. Gordon of Solace. Goodness gracious. We're going to go through all these. <laughs> Just two more, two more. Gordon Pussy. <laughs> <laughs> and finally... Never say Gordon again. Wow. And 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 there are like I I, I was sure from Gordon with Love was going to come. <laughs> it should have. It should have well the thing is I was building the Gordon pussy but you can't just throw that out there right at the beginning. And then I hit that and I was like all right, one more after that and that's enough. I don't need to this, this the joke is worn thin already. So do you have a favorite out of those? Uh, you know what? Those are some of those are really crazy, and uh, like I said, I'm not sure that some of them are publishable. Certainly not. Despite I know you you are freely use the explicit tag, but uh, some <laughs> things are just too much. <laughs> too sensitive. I think I think Gordon and I, Gordon and I was uh, pretty good. I enjoyed that one. All right, well, let's move on. Uh, I just <laughs> when. When you think James Bond, or when somebody mentions James Bond, what is the first thing that occurs to you? Like, when I threw this out there, what was the first thing you were like, we got to talk about this? 
Well, um, I mean, that uh, my my love and experience with James Bond has been so varied over the years that I can't say that there's anything like one thing that comes to mind always. You know, it just depends. But I can tell you for sure that whenever I start thinking about James Bond, I will have the theme song stuck in my head for a week. Sure. So, um, so I think maybe that's the most consistent thing. Uh, is that the theme song is just one of the best like you know pieces of music ever written I think, um, and that that I will that that I'll just keep thinking about because that throughout all the inconsistencies over the years because there's been some highs and some lows as far as uh, being a James Bond fan, but that theme song is always there. Well, and it's funny because I, I would say that the James Bond theme is so uh omnipresent such such a massive thing unto itself that when people talk about best movie theme songs and they talk about superman or batman or or whatever that james bond it's almost like it's so there people don't even think of it because it's so much more than just a movie theme i have seen I have seen movies. Uh, let's take the characters that you mentioned, for example, Batman, Superman. They've have they have great themes, um, but I've seen movies and I've seen things where they're they have different themes or they have no like they don't have a apparent theme or whatever. So, um, but with James Bond, uh, I've seen there are three instances of James Bond that I've seen where there's no theme, and it doesn't feel like James Bond to me. Yeah, never say never again. Didn't yep. use the theme, and and right. granted, that's it, not an Ion production. That's a weird. Right. What what exactly is the story behind that one? It's well, real generally speaking, um, the that uh, and and you'll forgive me because I you know since we're doing this uh, in general, I I don't I'm not really good with names. Well, it's, it's so, conversational. Uh, we're sure, we're not we're not Wikipedia. But uh, Anne Fleming, who is responsible for creating James Bond with the novels. Uh, wrote a uh, screenplay with I, my belief. Uh, he wrote a story with another person, and that person and that that story turned out to be Thunderball. Um, so it was published. It was made into a movie, et cetera, et cetera. And then the 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 person who like um, he wrote with didn't get any credit, uh, at least for the novel or whatever. So that person took the Flemings to court and uh, secured rights to things that were original to that story, meaning uh, Blofeld, um, meaning um, Spectre, uh, and a, a few other things. I think a few other characters that are in there. And so uh, once that uh, went to court and uh, the, the, the court sided with uh, the, the plaintiff, with the, 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 um, the, that cre- the, the writer, that person uh, retained the rights were taken away from Eon Productions, so they couldn't use uh, the Thunderball story anymore. The elements of that they couldn't use Blofeld. That's why Blofeld disappeared for decades. Uh, they couldn't use Spectre for decades. So, um, and meanwhile, uh, McCrary, the name's McCrary sounds uh, familiar. Kevin to me. McClory. 
Okay, thank you. Yeah, while, so, while uh, you were talking, I looked it up because there's a <laughs> lot more to this that, than I even realized. Yeah, uh, so Kevin, um, meanwhile, he's like, I want to make my own James Bond movie. Um, so um, uh, so they did. Uh, they made, um, uh, that's where Never Say Never Again comes from, and uh, that's why it's basically a remake of Thunderball. Uh, but it's not an Eon production, so it doesn't have a lot of elements that, you know, that we're used to, like the James Bond theme, most notably. That was the one thing, like, I, I, I don't hate that movie at all. I think it's actually, in spots, really good, and it's a good James Bond movie, but, man, the music just is is missing. Yeah, the music is missing, and honestly, Connery's great in it, but he's he really is looking long in the tooth in that one, which is funny to sure. say, because Roger Moore... Um, <laughs> It yes. is is the official James Bond at the time, uh, but yeah, it was it's it's a very. But I would good argue f- that he almost looks to me. He almost looks better in that movie than he does in Diamonds Are Forever, which is his last like official Bond movie. Like I don't know, maybe it's the the just the the seventies haven't translated that well or something. But he just looks. I just think he looks awful in that movie. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He looks like he's sort of had an. Well, I think that's part of it too. Is he's he maybe is a little bit phoning it in. Well, yeah, I mean, he forever. Was as much that. as as much as I love that movie, he was only doing that one for the money, right? That uh, was really obvious. A couple of other interesting things here that I'm seeing, which now we are Wikipedia, just for clarity's sake. <laughs> uh, this screenplay was by Lorenzo Semple Jr. Ah, very and nice. It was directed by Irvin Kirshner. Yes, that I knew. That I, I did remember. That's uh, quite, and, and for the listeners, that uh, screenplay, that's Batman 66. You should recognize that name. And uh, Irvin Kirshner directed Empire Strikes Back. Yep, that's a winning combination there. And like I said, I, I like that movie, um, but um, just redo the score. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. Just, just get uh, David Arnold or somebody to, to do a new score for that movie and reissue it out as an uh, in official Eon production and uh, just put it in there with the rest. I think it works. And it is so weird because growing up to me, this was just another James Bond movie. You know, I, I wasn't aware of everything that was behind it. Uh, and at one point, I don't know how old I was. I think I was in my teens, maybe in high school, and I watched it. And I was like, wait a minute. This is just like Thunderball. <laughs> like, I kind of had that realization on my own. And then at some point in Starlog or one of the magazines or something, I, I found the story behind why it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, it's very interesting. I, and it's always, to me, in this, like, I've got the, I think you and I both got that Blu-ray box set. Yep. Uh, and it's not there. And, right. And, and, I mean, it can't be. The rights are different, but it just feels like an omission to me. I think things have worked out so they think they do kind of own it now. I mean, obviously they own the rights now to, uh, or they can use the license to use Spectre and Blofeld now because they, they've they been in the last couple movies. Right, so, right. Um, so uh, and I don't know. I, maybe there's a reluctance for them to really include it as part of that because it's just, it really isn't, you know? And yeah. that's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah, but if I, I think, had to, if I had to choose one to be the official canon, it would be Thunderball. Oh yeah, oh sure. <laughs> that is uh, one of the biggest, best bonds of them all. Tom Jones, baby. Oh yeah. 
Uh, so we've mentioned a couple of bonds right now. Can you, and for me, it's changed over the years and, and it may change at some point again. Do you have, can you definitively say you have a favorite bond? No, um, I can't because I, um, it, it like different bond, like the way bond has evolved over the years, um, different, like different actors fit different movies that I love. Yeah. And I, and I can't see swapping them out. Like, um, you know, uh, uh, well, my first one, my first Bond is Roger Moore. That was the first one I think I ever saw. Yeah, same for me. And um, so, obviously, that's going to, you know, you never remember, you, you never forget your first, right? So, um, and and so, and, and his, you know, he made some damn good movies. So, it's not like, oh, everything he made was crap. Um, uh, so, it, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like picking my favorite, like, you know, Doctor and Doctor Who. It's not unlike that. Or my favorite actor who played, like, Sherlock Holmes or Batman or something. Like, I, I think that there's really, really uh, good cases can be made for almost all of them. Um, but, uh, yeah, and I can't really see. Like, I can't, as much as I love Sean Connery, and, you know, I mean, he's probably the definitive one. Um, I, I can't see Connery being in, like, uh, live and let die, you know. Right, they would be completely. They would have to be different movies. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, um, yeah, I I don't like. There are some that uh, I, I like more than others, but um, uh, you know, I think that I think that of them all, uh, I think that uh, um, uh, Timothy got the like the like the the shortest end of the stick like he, re- he really did because in, I mean, in retrospect not good well in retrospect i really like his performance as bond but his movies are weak yeah they're very weak um and that's unfortunate because uh he's a he's a great actor and he brought a lot to the role i mean he's good in them yes um, but there's just only so much he can do. So, if, um, if he and, had been able to do Goldeneye, I think he would have been around for more movies. Yes, um, man. I'll tell you what, though. I'll, I'll I'll admit this right off the bat, and this is like one of those things that people are like what? But um, I was really reluctant and resistant to um, Pierce Brosnan as Bond. Um, I did not care for the series Remington Steel when it was on and uh, he was just I just thought he was a you know a, a model turned actor that um, uh, just was in the right place at the right time and I, and everybody made like everybody thought that he should be Bond so therefore he should be you know and I you know he looks like Bond so he should be and I, I didn't think he had earned it yet and I didn't think he had that rugged quality that Connery brought to it. Um, so I, I was really resistant uh, to that. Um, but since then, I've gone back and rewatched a lot of his... I mean, I still, still saw them in the theater, and I still enjoyed them. Um, I think they got progressively worse. And a lot, that happens with a lot of Bonds. They get progressively worse as they go on, uh, as the actor goes on, but uh, with some exceptions. But um, I do feel also that Pierce was, uh, man, 
to to go out with Die Another Day not knowing that that's your last one was pretty crappy. Yeah, that was... Uh, I'm not the... I, I don't want to get too negative. Uh, I was in the boat you were mentioning before where I wanted Pierce Brosnan as Bond uh, yeah. when, when Dalton was cast. And I think that's what hurt Dalton, too. I think yes. a lot of people were resistant because they were like, no, no, we want that other guy. We right. want that prettier guy. We want that younger guy. You know, like, and I get it. And, you know, I make sense. But um, I had, I had liked Timothy Dalton and other stuff, and I just knew the character. So I knew that it was time, you know, Roger Moore's time was done. That's uh, time for him to go back to the rougher edged Bond. And that was perfect, only the movies didn't really carry that across. Yeah, that that kind of thinking was way too advanced for me at that point. I just, uh, I was a huge <laughs> fan of Remington Steele. Sure. Uh, and my mom loved Pierce Brosnan, and it just, it made sense to me. Yes, of course he should be James Bond, which I think is kind of the, the general feeling at the time. Uh, and when they cast Timothy Dalton, who I... You know, I had seen Flash Gordon. Um, but, of course. I don't know that I was overly... Because I, I wasn't probably as conscious of actors then as I am now. So I don't know that I was even all that familiar with Timothy Dalton at the time. I just... To me, he was just not Pierce Brosnan. Like, that was that was his defining quality, was that he's not Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I, that, and I think for a lot of people that was true. Like yeah. I do, like so. Public opinion combined with weak movies, it, you know, the weak scripts. I think that the first one is probably a better script, but it's too much. Like, oh, you know, they it, it was written for. Well, it feels like it was written for Roger Moore, and they just stuck Timothy Dalton I, in it. I which, agree didn't work that well and then you know he finally got a movie that's more his style and in, in uh uh license to kill but it's just the script is awful the direction is awful the budget must have been slashed because it really just feels like a made for like straight to video movie yeah it's it's rough and it's especially rough if you're because i i tend to when i watch the bond movies it's unlikely that i'm just going to watch one i'm probably going to end up watching you know, at least an actor's whole run over the course of not in a day, but like over the course of a few weeks, I'll I'll watch all the Bond movies, and those especially suffer. Well, to be honest, Dalton's and Brosnan's both suffer from being in close proximity to other Bond movies. That's yeah, I could see that. They, uh, I've been watching. Um, I sort of. Uh, put it on myself to what I, I sort of scheduled it out so that uh, since uh, No Time to Die is, I believe, the 25th official entry in the Bond franchise, I had scheduled it like, you know, to watch one a month uh, leading up to the movie. So um, I've fallen a bit behind, so it's not a bad idea that they. Uh, That's okay, the movie has two. <laughs> I know, right? So, uh, although now I have all the time to watch them. Uh, um, so, um, all the time but, in the world, one might say. Exactly. I don't want to say that. It's not. It's not good. And there, nothing's <laughs> ever good when that song sung. Um, oh. <laughs> uh, but um, rewatching them was really a great experience. If you, yeah, if you've done it too, you rewatch them, fresh, especially from start to, from the first one, Doctor No, to present. 
Um, it is amazing the journey that you go through watching those and rewatching them. Like it, they're they're time capsules. Uh, they are uh, very interesting in terms of like what the subplots are, what was happening, like how they're they're made, how they're shot, and everything. Like the differences are are sometimes really startling. Um, but uh, so right now I'm I've just finished. Uh, this week, I just finished watching the last Brosnan one. So I watched okay. Diana of the Day, uh, which is the first time I'd seen it since uh, I saw it in the theater. Oh, wow. And, yeah, it was not... I did not really care for it after I saw it in the no. theater. So I just sort of sat on it for a while. And I was like, oh, do I have to watch it all the way through? I guess I will. <laughs> and um, and I'm like, yeah, I do. Um, and I did. And I tell you, um, the first half, I thought, like, I'm like, what did I have a problem with this for? This is not so bad. And then the like you know then the second half happens and it's all the CG and everything it just it it doesn't work for me and and you know and I feel bad you know at the end of it I was just like man poor Pierce because you know he, I think he was really trying to do something different and he was trying to evolve the character and yet it just got taken out from him uh, and he didn't even get a chance to most Bonds kind of know when their last one is going to be but. Um, he didn't uh like he just got the call saying yeah we're not going to need you for the next one uh click and it's like damn that's that's cold uh, yeah it's it's harsh movies are a tough business <laughs> i yes i actually it's funny we mentioned never say never again because i was trying to remember where i left off a few weeks ago my my rewatching got derailed uh and I left off with Octopussy, which is just prior to Never Say Never Again. So I'm going to have to... Actually, they came out the same year. Oh, they did? Yeah. 1983, I do... both of them. It, you mentioned... It's funny you mentioned Starlog, because I remember getting that issue, and it had both Roger Moore and Connery on the cover. And it was like, the Battle of the Bonds. Like, that summer, like, that's what we were all, uh, you know, we were all sort of excited by, uh, is the Battle of the Bonds. This, this, this That was going to happen this year. And I got to say, out of the two of those, um, I it, never say never is like kind of I it kind of I lean towards that one, uh, but like I said, without the Bond music, it kind of really takes some points away from it. So, so Octopussy came out on June sixth, uh, and I my mom took me to see that in the theater. Uh, it's it's one of the let's see, nineteen eighty three. My gosh, I was only seven years old. That's wild. Uh, but I, you were I, probably younger than I was when I first saw my. I think the first time I saw Bond in the theater was uh, for your eyes only, and um, I would have been. Let's see, that was eighty eighty one, right? Yeah, that was eighty one. So I would have been uh, about twelve thirteen. I would have to check with my mom, and I don't know that she would even remember. It wouldn't surprise me if I saw For Your Eyes Only in the theater, but I don't have any memories of that. Uh, but I specifically remember the leech scene in Octopussy. Gotcha. Um, seeing that in the theater. And then Never Say Never Again, I don't know that we went and saw that because my mom loved Roger Moore. Like, he's her Bond. Mm -hmm. uh, but that came out in October same year though very interesting yeah it was a that was a, like i said quite the battle um 
And that's uh, the I think the only time that two a Bond actors like that have gone head to head like that. Um, oh, for sure, and, for sure. And it probably will be the only time. Uh, I mean, they've got things well in hand. That I mean, that's back then they were just churning them out too. I mean, there's some there was some delays, but you know, pretty much year two, like you get a Bond movie. Now it's a little bit longer, so of a wait, and which is unfortunate, but. Because I think technically Daniel Craig's been Bond for the longest period of time, but he hasn't made near as many movies as Connery or or uh, more. I don't even know. It Has looks, more, it looks like in 15 years, Daniel Craig will have been in five movies. Right. That puts him with, with Brosnan, I think, right? Um, Connery went from 62 to well if you include never say never again he went to 83 so that's that's 19 years or no i take it back that's 21 years yeah but that's not him doing it consistently yeah so consistently he only goes up to 71 so that's nine years yeah uh and then Moore went from 73 to 85 so he's got 12 years yeah so craig like i said is the longest yeah uh um, but he he only he's made two less movies than those two gentlemen. So the longest period with no Bond movie was between Dalton and Brosnan. It looks like eighty nine to ninety five. Yeah, that was six years. That was, that was when MGM was going through all sorts of legal stuff. So. Yeah, being bought by other companies and the rights were being thrown around and yeah. So but then we've got five years between the last two movies. Yeah, there's no excuse for that. Potentially, <laughs> potentially more now. Have they announced a new date for No Time to Die? I believe they've said the fall, but I don't know if that's a, there's a particular. A lot date. of people have moved things back to November, which means November. Yeah, November 25th. A lot of uh, November is going to be crowded. Well, that's why a lot of studios now have moved to next year. Yeah, just said you know what every you know screw screw this summer, scrap it. Next, we'll try again next year. Yeah, I think Ghostbusters and uh, Ghostbusters got moved back to next year, and so did Morbius, which will disappoint legions of fans, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> On a grand scale. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're like, who? Uh, <laughs> unlike me, who I'm excited. But, I, uh, no, I, I want to see it. The trailer did nothing to excite me, but I, I like Jared Leto. Um, I think he's an interesting actor. I don't have the bias against him that a lot of people have, and uh, I, you know, it's it's a it's a Marvel movie based on a wacky Spider-Man character. I want to see it. I want to see what they yeah. do. Me too. Me too. Uh, um, but back to Bond. Back to Bond. Yeah. Now, so, have you read any of the books? Uh, that is my. Ne- I actually have some notes here because my. I I need them. There's too much bond to cover for me to just do a lot it of bond. Off. I'm not a I'm not a bondologist like you are. <laughs> no, um, I, I wouldn't call. It. I'm a bond enthusiast. I, so my th- this is where I have to be a little a little ashamed of my fandom because I have a tiny tiny little corner of the bond literary universe that I've explored. Uh, it, I own a 1979 book called James Bond's Moonraker to color, cut out, and fly. Ow, that's pretty awesome, though. <laughs> it, it actually I, I is awesome. Uh, this is, 
It's an activity book based on Moonraker, which is really weird. And I had it when I was a kid, and I have memories of being at my grandparents' house and sitting down, and we I think it was me and my dad and my grandfather cutting out and coloring the... It was the boat that actually had the glider. They're all paper, and you have they're not perforated or anything. Like, this is old school. You had to cut these things out precisely. <laughs> uh, but... Very much like in It, where they put the paraffin on the sailboat for Georgie, mm-hmm. we my dad coated this boat from Moonraker in paraffin so you could actually put it in the water. And uh, it had the glider that pulled out of the top. And then there are all these other like cut-out figures. It's amazing. And I actually went on eBay years ago and bought another i've got it sitting around here somewhere uh but it's got this shiny foil cover on it it's a really nice looking cool book and i got it for nothing then i I think i paid like eight bucks for it uh off of ebay a few years ago and now it's selling for like forty dollars i don't know what happened uh but yeah I'm, i'm thrilled to have this so that was my first james bond book technically that's crazy uh i um I know other people, even uh, like people who were like you know around you know kids in in the early '60s and whatnot, and they had uh, Bond toys because they made like board games and stuff like that. Oh, we'll and we'll it, get into that. And it's amazing to me that you know that they marketed Bond to kids uh, back in those days because I mean, yeah, it wasn't R, but still, I'm watching these and I'm going, these are not movies for kids (laughs) (laughs) and yet at seven years old i was watching octopussy in the theater yeah Uh um which is funny because i and i've said this before on the show i've always thought of my mom as being very like sort of protective and and i felt like i was sheltered but thinking back to seeing like wrath of khan and the bond movies and all these other things in the theater i realized like either she wasn't as as sheltering as i remember or she just really wanted to see these movies. <laughs> my uh, my exposure to Bond early on was through uh, ABC Sunday Night at the Movies. Oh yeah, yeah. And they would show uh, Bond movies, and it would take like a long time. Like they would start at like I don't know, like eight, like the normal time, and then they'd go to like eleven thirty, twelve, or whatever. Because with commercials, man, some of those went really long. And uh, in some cases, I didn't get to see the end because I had to go to bed. Um, but I I remember watching those. Uh, I can even remember um, using a audio tape recorder and recording them uh, through, like, putting a, um, a microphone near the speaker yeah. of the TV so I could get all the audio, so I could replay them over and over and over again. Um, and, yeah, I just... I just fell in love with the Bond movies that way. And I would read about him in Starlog and whatnot as well. Um, but I really wanted to read the books. And my mom, my parents had, they were my moms. My dad didn't do much reading. But my parents had, uh, on their bookshelf, they had hardcover uh, editions of the first, I don't know, let's say six, eight um, Bond books by Ian Fleming. And uh, I've still got the, those to this day. 
Um, but I can recall, you know, asking because they were in a place that, you know, they were in my parents' bookshelf. So I remember asking mom, you know, my mom, if I could read them. And she's like, I don't know. You might be too young for those. And I was really confused because I'm like, well, you let me watch the movie. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, yeah. What, how is that any different than reading the book? So finally she um, she said, all right. And uh, I didn't really think anything of it. But, yeah, the the books, um, yeah, the books are. Are, are a different experience. James Bond is a dick. <laughs> he he can be. He's he's pretty rough, man. Uh, and plus, they're you know they're written at the time, and 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 whew, I mean, there's right, sexism, right. racism. There's just yeah, like yeah. it's 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 like yeah, nobody's going to do straight adaptations of these things ever, ever, um, because you just couldn't. But they're um, a product of the era. You know, yeah, I mean that's a weak excuse, but it is not. I mean, it is, it is, it I is mean, what it is. It's, Plus, it's not though. I mean, you you can't. The, the, this is where I come from, looking back at how things were in the past and how much we've changed from them. Um, you know, to look at those books and the era they were in, uh, or, or really anything from the past where social progression has not happened the way it has now. And to sort of castigate them to me is very similar to the concept of like, well, look at this tribe in Peru that has had no experience with civilization and have been isolated their entire lives. Well, they're all going to hell because they haven't accepted Jesus Christ into their hearts. Like it's the same mentality to me. You you can't expect that of those people because of where they live it's 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 not it's not fair and it's okay to look at those things now and say this isn't right but to judge the people for the times they existed in i don't think is okay not not entirely no uh and i agree with that it's a much deeper discussion yeah, <laughs> really. yeah it is that's, uh, that's but, not what we're here for today yeah um you know but um in any case, the, the point is is that the books are a lot more adult than the movies. They're a lot more violent. Uh, they are... Um, uh, they're not bad reads, at least most of them. Um, uh, I had, It's been a while since I've reread them, uh, but I did take it upon myself at one point to read all the Bond books uh, by Fleming back when I was, you know, in my teens. So, um... Uh, and there, I think any Bond move, any Bond fan should at least read, you know, one of them. Uh, the, in Casino Royale is the first one, and I, I mean, there's no better one to start with. I, but uh, but, but you have, so you have read any of them? <laughs> it's okay if you haven't. You know, so in 1985, I read. I th- I, this has come up before on the show, and I can't remember the context. Uh, there was a series of Find Your Fate books. Tied wow. in, tied into a view to a kill. That's amazing. There are four books. Three of them are directly tied into the movie, and the fourth one is its own story. And I had all of them when I was a kid, and I wish I still had them because they're very expensive now. They sell for like forty bucks a piece. All but one of them ended with you getting riddled with bullets by Christopher Walken. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I read those I over and over and over again. I remember taking those on car trips. I remember 
uh, just go because I, you know, those find your fate was was a different way of saying choose your own adventure. Right. Uh, it was a different line that encompassed things other than just these James Bond books. Uh, but but I, I thoroughly adored those. But obviously, they're not representative of the classic version of James Bond as written by Ian or Ian Fleming, depending on who you are. What do you do? You say Ian or Ian? I say Ian. I say Ian as well. I don't know if that's right or not. I don't care. He's uh, not a, he's not a, no. The closest I have gotten to those original Bond books is uh, Devil May Care, which was written by Sebastian Fox, writing as Ian Fleming. Uh, that came out in 2008, and I thought that was really, really good, and my intent at the time was to go out and check out the original books and for one reason or another, I mean, that was 12 years ago. I don't remember what happened, but I never got around to it. Um, there is, for those people who, you know, uh, may want to balk at, you know, reading novels uh, for whatever reason, um, I also strongly suggest uh, the comic book adaptations. Um, I'm right now, um, been, I started reading the um, comic strip collections that Titans uh, Titan put it, puts out, and the comic strips were started in the '60s, I think, and they were um, not uh, doing adaptations of the movies; they were doing adaptations of the books, and in comic strip form, you know, daily. Um, and uh, Titans put together those, uh, collected those. And the first volume has uh, most of the books uh, in, in, in order, too, by the way. So it starts with the Casino Royale. Oh, nice. Goes, goes to Live and Let Die, which most people don't realize is the second book. Um, and perhaps the best. Um, but uh, um, those two books, like, if you, yeah, those are two winners right there. Um, and then, you know, there's good things and uh, not about. I like, I like Moonraker, too, uh, the novel. But in any case. Um, so the comic strips are great. I I read uh, the adaptation of Casino Royale that they did. That was pretty close to the book. Um, so I, I was really surprised at how close it was adapted in a comic strip form, uh, in daily comic strip form. Um, that was pretty amazing. So I'm just starting to read um, Live and Let Die as well. And recently Dynamite has put out, um, has decided to do graphic novel adaptations of... The books they started with Casino Royale, adapted by our good friend Van Jensen, and uh, with gorgeous art, um, gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous art. Uh, there's only, unfortunately, I guess these take a long time to be produced. Uh, so there's only been two that have come out, like the first two, Casino Royale and Living That Die, in the last couple of years. But they are phenomenal. Uh, they are great adaptations. Van did an incredible job. Um, and the artists that he worked with, they're diff- two different artists, but they're both, they both suit the material. They're both gorgeous, and I, I can't recommend them highly enough. Did you read any of the original stuff Dynamite put out prior to these? I think, was it Warren yes. Ellis? Yep, uh, Warren Ellis did, and they were pretty solid, too. Yeah, I, uh, those, I put them on in a, a classic tale of Dave and the comic shop, uh, I put him on. I put that first Warren Ellis. I think he was the first one when Dynamite sort of relaunched with James Bond, if I remember that's, correctly. That's correctly, yeah. That's um, with, a, on, with a 
story Vigor or Vig- I, I can't pronounce it, but it, 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 yeah, it's one of those ones I was like, really? You're going to come out with a story we can't pronounce the title of? <laughs> well, I, I, That's put my, I put it on my pull <laughs> list and they didn't pull the first two issues and then did pull the third, which is classic. <laughs> my, my former local comic book shop. Uh, so I just, I, I, I never, you know, as with many things, I was like, oh, well, never mind. I'm buying enough stuff as it is. Yeah, well, with those, I definitely recommend, uh, you know, I've, I've been getting all that stuff by trade. So, yeah, yeah. And, and Dynamite was pretty cool about, um, for a while anyway, coming out with hardcover editions first. So most of those I have in hardcover format. And for me, it just feels, to me, I guess it's because I grew up with, those those James Bond hardcovers on my right, parents' shelf, you right, know, right. and like to me, James Bond hardcover just is it, that makes sense to me. The franchise deserves that classy treatment. Yeah, not yeah, that absolutely. there's anything wrong with trade paperbacks. Nope, not, but not. certain stuff like the um, some of the stuff DC is doing, like Batman White Knight. I want that in mm-hmm. hardcover. Yep, like that that earned it. Yes, to me. but then other stuff. You know, great stories, but I don't need uh, the entire Nightfall saga in hardcover. Right. Those, those trades are a okay. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so, um, so, so read... yes, if you if you haven't read the books, I, I recommend it. Uh, and the comic adaptations will serve you just as well. Did you read Devil May Care? I did not. I so after uh, the Ian Fleming run, uh, there was a there was a, a I think there was a like period where there was not license for anybody else to write them and i believe and i could be mistaken here anybody who's really an expert is going to yell at me probably but i in in my mind anyway uh the first time i was aware of uh, bond books coming out after ian fleming um, was john gardner uh, the john gardner series oh my gosh you know what i think i read some of those i totally forgot about that Roll of Honor, I believe, was the first one. I read that one. Uh, the next one is Icebreaker. I read that one. Uh, I think there was another one. And then Nobody Lives Forever, or No One Lives Forever, was, ooh, that's still one of my favorite premises of all time. Like, I don't know why. I mean, I get it. I know why they, they've never adapted. Uh, they've never adapted any of the other Bond books into the movies. And I guess there's reasons for that. But, uh, man, the premise uh, was just so cool. Because in addition to, uh, uh, and this is not like a major spoiler for anybody who wants to read the book or whatever, but let me just say that, so Bond's going through the normal thing where he's like trying to stop Smirsh or Spectre or whatever, right? Um, But in, like, they've hired, like, they put out a bounty on him. And there's like, I don't know, it's like a million, two million dollars or whatever for Bond's head. So, any time during the plot of this book, like, there are people that are coming to get Bond. Like, just various people, like, assassins from every corner. And it just makes it so much more exciting. Like, I just remember going, oh, my God, like, like there's someone else coming to kill him. Like, I just, like, I just thought that was really realized pretty well. So, I, I'd love to see that in, in, in a movie. You've yeah. just blown my mind because the, as soon as you said John Gardner, it just... You know how sometimes that rusty old wheel in the back of your head clicks to life? Uh-huh. Uh, I, re- I for sure read Win, Lose, or Die. I don't remember it. I don't even know when it came out. I mean, this would when would this have been? 
Um, I would say it was during the 80s. Um, I think they started coming out around the time that the Dalton movies started coming out, I think. Okay, When Loser Die came out in 89, which would place it just right for me to, like, be hardcore into reading. I think there's a good chance my mom got it for me, um, as she did with Devil May Care. Uh, I 100% read this. Holy crap. I just found out that... Uh, I just looked it up myself just to see, check myself. And Roll of Honor came out in 1984, but it was actually the fourth uh, John Gardner um, uh, James Bond novel. I thought it was the first one, but nope, there was some more before that. Interesting. Very interesting. See, this is what happens... <laughs> when uh when when we get together and we fortunately do have wikipedia at our disposal but get those uh brains brains ticking so he did the novel oh, sorry 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 yeah sorry i'm sorry i don't mean to interrupt but um oh no, uh, no that's fine go ahead yeah license renewed came out in 81 and i do remember that now so it was license renewed for special services icebreaker wow he wrote a lot of them yeah uh, he really few. did but um, nobody lives forever. 1986. That's the one that I that stuck out to me the most, and uh, that's probably the last time I've read a novel by someone a Bond novel by someone other than Ian Fleming. I would be inter- I I still have my copy of Devil May Care. I would be interested to to as someone who has read Ian Fleming. I'd be interested to hear your response to it. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Like I said, it it made me want to go and read the Ian Fleming novels. Uh, so yeah, Win, Lose, or Die, I absolutely read. Uh, I Licensed to Kill, I feel like I read that as well. He did the novelization of the movie. Yes, he did. Yes. Um, it's and then, probably better. Bro- <laughs> yeah, I feel sure it is. Uh, and then bro- <laughs> Broken Claw rings a bell also, but none of these others sound too familiar to me. Yeah, I was looking at the later ones, uh, and those don't... uh, I was really out of all of that by then. I mean, 1986 through 89 is when, you know, I'm I'm, uh, I'm going into college and starting all that nonsense, so... um, and and getting out and all that. Uh, So I I probably tapped out around that time and uh, just never went back. So before... You had mentioned because this is the Needless Things podcast, of course we're going to talk about toys. You had mentioned uh, that in the 60s there were James Bond toys, which seems so odd. Uh, even though those movies, I I feel like they weren't harder than PG. No, no, they're all... I mean, I think, I think you know, in a post-PG world... <laughs> They would have been PG thirteen, sure, but sure. but back then, yeah, they were PG, and they made sure. I mean, the Bond producers were smart. They knew that you know, PG meant more people could go. Yeah. So um, they knew my mom would want to take me to these and, to these movies. You know, um, you know, Bond is a daily strip in the papers. Like it's like you know that's for kids can read that too. So yeah, yeah. Um, you know they. Yeah, so I think they they realized, and I, I don't know. Like I said, I I don't mean to be a prude, and I I have no idea, you know, that sort of thing. But I like looking back on it now, especially rewatching the movies. I was like, man, there's a, a lot of here that <laughs> either went over my head, 
<laughs> or well, ABC edited out. <laughs> well, and that's I think a lot of it is that I just didn't catch it at the time. But there's there's a lot of side boob, a lot of butt crack, a lot <laughs> like they they push the limits. I think. Yeah, yeah. But uh, to to look at the toys, it's amazing to me that a franchise as world renowned as huge as this hasn't had more merchandising over the years uh because in 1965 gilbert toys had a line of three inch minifigures which were a big thing at the time now uh, well we're kind of getting back to that being a thing now what with toy prices uh production cost skyrocketing and everything but they're a little just no no articulation just little figures almost like miniatures you'd play D D with uh they're all painted uh, but they did sets based on Dr. No and uh, a few of the other movies at the time. Very sort of limited releases. Like, there's not a lot to this collection, and they're honestly not very expensive on eBay. If you go now, you could you could get a whole collection for a reasonable amount of money. Uh, and then they also had a line of 12-inch dolls, as they were called at the time, even though we all know they're action figures now. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I... I... I remember being part of that transition. When I was growing up, uh, <laughs> when I was really little, I played with G.I. Joe dolls. Right. And then uh, when Star Wars came out, suddenly I was playing with action figures. <laughs> <laughs> well, they released uh, James Bond and Odd Job. And Odd Job is in a karate gi and has a hat-throwing action. And then they've got several different accessory sets to go with the 12-inch figure. They've got his... Because he comes in his... Uh, it's just his bathing suit, which is is funny because Sideshow did a callback to that years and years later. Uh, but they have a wetsuit and his tuxedo and scuba gear, and then uh, a briefcase with a bunch of gadgets and stuff in it. Like really neat looking, very uh, very much products of the time. The way that these things worked. And one thing that I couldn't find though, and I know that it exists, and I think you and I have talked about it before, is the role play. James Bond secret agent briefcase. Mm, yes. It's a toy set. It's it's a little kid briefcase, but it has uh and and I I couldn't even find it looking it up like who made it or anything, but it's based on the attaché he gets in uh is it Goldfinger? I can't remember now. Yeah, I believe that um I well it could be man, I think you're right. I think although I think there is a there is a suitcase with a where the sort of blade pops out and I think that's in from Russia where love. Well, and he's had a few different attaches. Like one of them has the gold sovereigns in the yeah. top and then yep. if he he puts in if you put the code in wrong, poison gas shoots out or whatever. Yep. Um so, but it's it is it's actually called the James Bond 007 Attaché Case. I, I found a picture of it here, and it comes with the Walther PPK, with the sight, with the stock. Uh, it has uh, all kinds of little accessories in there. It's it's wild to me that this is a children's toy, <laughs> and it's <laughs> one of the most sought after collectibles uh, ever, really, because it has so many parts. It's very difficult to find one complete. Oh, and it's James Bond, so that makes it. And it's James Bond, which, as, as I said, <laughs> I would didn't get I would a lot. think anything vintage James Bond is not cheap. 
And it looks like there were a few different versions of this, which I didn't realize. One of them has a Colt 45 rather than the Walther PPK, uh, and it has targets of Blofeld. And oh, this okay. So this one's an attaché, and it's got it's a suction cup dart gun. Uh, and inside it has the gun. It has four suction cup darts, and then it has little stand-ups of uh, Blofeld, a random scuba diver, and a boat. It's <laughs> to shoot I, at i think uh when thunderball came out is when the marketing really stepped up and was uh really prevalent around that time so i could be wrong about that but uh, certainly they're not going to sell a toy where the blade comes out of the <laughs> so <laughs> one of the attaches the first one we were talking about that comes with all the parts for the walther ppk uh the code omatic and then a code book. And then it looks like the Walther PPK is actually maybe a pellet gun. Huh. Uh, one of these recently sold for $7,000 on Hake's auctions. Ooh, wow. But it was in the box, complete, unopened. Uh, it looks just beautiful. So oh, that's that's amazing. I mean, that's that's a holy grail for a lot of people, I'm sure. Not for me, because good Lord... Uh, and then in 1979 this is a line that I'd overlooked and I'm curious to know if you remember this or not Uh, Mego actually did a line of Moonraker figures the the typical uh, the standard Mego dolls yeah the 8 inch Migos Uh, I was thinking you know I was listening to one of your past episodes where you were answering questions and everything and you said something about I think someone asked you about like what would be a really cool toy line that hasn't been done licensing wise or whatever and I thought you know having like Bond like the Bond license free license with Bond for any of the movies to do Mego style would be pretty awesome. It would be fantastic and it it seems to me like something that the modern Mego should jump on and probably I would imagine at this point they've pursued it uh, I and, it, hope so. and it either happened or didn't because I mean if you look at the Mego offerings right now in Target and Walmart they've, they've got everything it's crazy they're almost like the new Funko with the stuff they're doing except more of their licenses are retro than, than right. modern yeah that's true but yeah I've uh, just seeing some of what they're doing I mean they're doing Wrath, Wrath of Khan Finally. Wow. Somebody's cool. going to do a full line of Wrath of Khan. I'm very excited. But, uh, yeah, they did uh, Moonraker. They only had three figures. And then Jaws, which was only released in Italy. But just really neat retro looking if you Google them. Uh, anytime we're talking about toys here on the show, I am probably looking at figurerealm.com. Uh, it's an amazing index of toy lines and manufacturers. And they've got pictures of just about everything. But the the box art for the Moonraker, and I think this is from one of the posters where he's in the space suit in outer space, no helmet on, and you can see his tuxedo under the space suit. Yeah, that was on the poster. Okay, that's what I was thinking is it was actually from the poster. It's it's some really really hilarious art. <laughs> uh and then it's 1991 before we get any more James Bond toys, but they're not proper James Bond. They are James Bond Jr. Oh, right. Yes. I, I remember this, and I remember I was not a fan. 
Yeah, I don't. I never jumped on that. Yeah, you wouldn't. I think that would have been outside of your range at the time. Yeah, the only, um, the only James Bond related toy that I had uh, as part of you know my my play stuff was, um, and it wasn't even official. Um, I still have it somewhere. It's a, um, it's a. A very small, like matchbox size, Hot Wheel size. I don't know if it was by Hot Wheels, uh, but it's a it's a white Lotus Spirit, like um, from uh, that, like he had in, um, uh, kind of like he had in uh, Spy Who Loved Me. I've I have just the other day bought that. Well, like I said, this was not official, and it. I don't think like an official in the sense that oh okay uh, it was not a I I don't think it was like it didn't have 007 branding on it or anything oh okay or bond you. branding it just was a Lotus Spirit that you could get from like I said it, it was Hot Wheels Matchbox right right one of the Corgi something like that because um, I remember it, even though it was a Lotus Spirit it wasn't like the car you know like it certainly wasn't the one that you know could go underwater that's for sure but yeah um, right right. But uh, I remember the doors opened, so that should tell me that it was probably Matchbox. Oh, I don't had... think the I don't think the Hot Wheels ones had the doors that opened. Um, I think that's right. I... But in any case, that's so. Uh, I would you know roll up around that one, um, and uh, I know I have it somewhere uh, around. I just saw it the other day, and I wish I had it close to me because I could tell you exactly what it was. But um, yeah, that's the and, and as far as official Bond stuff, um, you know, outside the books, I really all I, I I purchased all the movie magazines as they came out, you know, because every time a Bond movie come out, Starlog or Marvel or somebody, well, they do the comic adaptations, but they'd also have like the the movie book that would come out, and uh, and that's a tradition that it's hard for me to stop buying those. Yeah, I yeah, used to buy those all the time. And I walked into the grocery store the other day, went to the magazine aisle, and they have, like, three companies are doing Bond magazines, uh, Lifetime and News, Newsweek. I think all three of them have special Bond commemorative, like, you know, magazines. And I was like, damn, you guys. Like, I was like... I you know if there was two if there was one only one or maybe two I would have bought them but three was just too much for me and I was like no I can't well I can't and those spend. things are like ten or fifteen bucks now yeah yeah they're like yeah they're fifteen bucks a pop now so I'm like I'm not spending forty five dollars on you know stuff that I probably already have you know in my in my Bond magazine book collection what have you so uh, so yeah I, I but they still do them which is kind of cool. Um, you know, but uh, it's hard for me to to stay stay away from those. But I do have a lot of those. I mean, I have a lot of I have almost every comic book that has come out uh, with Bond on it in some form. Like I said, I get the trades now, but back in the day, I was getting the ones from. I do have an issue of James Bond Junior. Number one from I think Marvel put that out. Um, but uh, that's the only thing related that I have from James Bond Junior. Yeah, I've. Um... You know, I've always wanted James Bond stuff since I was a little kid. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I've always had that toy drive, and there just hasn't, you know, looking at the dates I've got here, 1979 Moonraker, well, we already discussed, I had the, 
the paper cutout book, but I don't even remember those figures, so I don't know how, how available or present they were. And then there really wasn't anything else until 1997 when the... Do you remember uh, these 8-inch Mego-style figures by a company called Exclusive Premier? And I remember them being in Toys R Us and KB Toys. They might have been at regular retail, but I'm not sure. They might have just been in, like, comic shops. But they did a pretty extensive line... Uh, Tomorrow Never Dies, Dr. No, Goldfinger, Spy Who Loved Me, but then they also hit on the current movies at the time. But they're they're basically just Mego-style figures, but they came in these plastic tubes initially. And later on, they switched to regular card backs, like just the blister card. But I remember these things being everywhere, but I never bought them because I just, they, they didn't look quite right to me. Yeah, I don't I don't recall those at all. I, I do I know what you mean though. Anything that came in like a plastic tube as opposed to like traditional packaging, I probably stay away from. <laughs> well, and it's the initially the tube made them seem kind of fancier. But then when you look at them, actually, you know what? Let's see. I am gonna send you a link to the Doctor No ones so you can take a look at them and see what you think. Uh, you know, the tube made them stand out in the toy aisle because it is usually a good thing to have some kind of remarkable different packaging to make it stand out amongst all of the blister-carded stuff. But to me, well, first of all, one of the issues you have when launching with Dr. No is they always put him in just his, like, blue clothes and not a suit. Yeah, oh, gotcha, right. Which I think is a mistake. Yeah, Bond... Yeah, the, the the default bond should be in a tux. Yes, absolutely. And and very often, it seems like the toy manufacturers make the mistake uh, of putting him in something else in the initial offering. <laughs> yeah, that makes no sense. So, uh, do, you, do you see, did that link come through? Yeah, I'm looking at, sorry, I'm... Uh, oh, it's okay. It's, it's an audio show. Um, we... <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't remember seeing these. Uh, they're pretty cool looking, though. Um, yeah, now in, in retrospect, I wish yeah. I had bought them all. Oh, sure. Limited edition. Yeah, Collector well, series. Yeah, let's... The the only thing more overused than CGI in the late 90s <laughs> was the term limited edition. Oh, I know. I'm a comic, I'm a comic guy. Uh, so right, I, right, yeah, you know. You know. <laughs> but, uh, and, uh, yeah, these are cool. I, I, um... Yeah, the the you know sort of the anatomy is weird. Like yeah. I'm looking at the bond and the head is like, is that? I'm like, is that belong to a three quarter inch figure? Like they <laughs> the, like they put a three quarter inch head on a like Mego big body. Like it just seems really small. But and that's what I remember about them is proportionally they just seemed odd to me. Yeah, um, and yeah, so you have uh, wow, well, you got two Doctor Nose and one Bond. I uh, got of that. That's weird, and probably no um, that no females. Probably uh, no. They did Honey Rider. Oh, okay. Yeah, gotcha. she should be on the page I sent you. Uh, no, I just see. Oh, wait. Maybe that is. Hang on. 
Okay, so oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She's yeah. Okay, ooh, that is weak. Yeah, I probably would have stayed away from those. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, they did, I can they... see for collectors' items, they're like pretty cool. But yeah, as a as a collector at the time, I probably been like mm, pass. Yeah, it was. They didn't look like anything like I wanted to pose on a shelf. Right. But right. now looking back, just because they're of what they represent, I'm like, eh, it'd be nice. To, to have those but fortunately in the late 90s sideshow collectibles got the bond license and started cranking out some really beautiful 12 inch scale figures from everything oh that's cool and that's what i've got i've got a, a connery and a Moore. uh i've got christopher lee as scaramanga and they they i mean they hit pretty much all the major characters there's even a teehee out there wow yeah yeah if you go and look let's see here this will be too much for us to cover on audio, but I'll send you the link to the Sideshow collection. Uh, they really hit a lot. Like, it's fun for the listeners. If you go to Figure Realm, uh, you can look under Features and click on Checklists, and then just click on J in the alphabet, and it'll take you to all the James Bond products that have come out. And Sideshow's offerings are just incredible. They, they've got Dr. No, Alec Trevelyan, um, Ernest Blofeld, they've got the Savalis Blofeld, uh, and then let's see here, they've got Jaws, uh, Pussy Galore, Odd Job, uh, Scaramanga. Obviously, I've I've had to have Scaramanga because I had uh, the Man with the Golden Gun is my favorite Bond movie, and they released a Roger Moore from that, so I had to have the Christopher Lee to go along with him. Uh, yeah, they did a really really impressive collection these are really good yeah uh, yeah i like these a lot um the the scale looks great the proportions look great um uh yeah these are pretty pretty amazing uh even tihi that's awesome i know right with his little yeah. claw hand yeah yeah no that's a good assortment um yeah and even the women don't look terrible um that's because that's always tricky with these this scale I think uh, to have the women kind of look you know uh, like you have to let they're bond women so you have to have them look a little sexy right right and it's and it's that's kind of difficult do with, this with this clothing but I think the yeah. characters they chose they had a little easier uh, time of it but yeah I would have loved to see this line sort of expand and continue uh, but you know at this point oh and then uh, big chief studios who have done uh, Doctor Who and some other licenses like really high-end collector 12-inch figures. Uh, they're also releasing James Bond figures, but those are out of my price range. Well, I can also tell you, and you're probably aware of this as well, but for the listeners, um, uh, Funko Pop has a ton of Bond uh, figures, and, uh, and yeah, they've done quite a number of them. Uh, and the one, my favorites, and I'm surprised that... Uh, this this twelve inch line doesn't have one of these, and maybe it does, and it's just, I just don't see it. But um, um, is a uh, Baron Semity. Oh yeah, yeah. Like uh, that that Funko figure looks amazingly cool. Like it just is like yeah. I think I'm gonna. I I've been staying away, and they do have also they do have one with Bond and the Aston Martin, uh, which you know that's pretty awesome. So if you want a little Aston Martin. And pop a little Funko uh, Bond in there. It's uh, that's that's pretty. It's a pretty good set. So yeah, I saw uh, Target a few weeks ago. They had the 
golden girl, which is both morbid and cool. <laughs> well, at least in that case, it makes sense. Some of their gold like figures, uh, yeah, yeah, like I like they're all painted gold, and it just doesn't make any sense to me. But at least on that case, like, oh, that's from the movie, <laughs> right? Like, right, like, right. She was actually painted that way from the movie, so yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, so, uh, so I like I said, I didn't have the just a, a follow up. I didn't have the. Um, uh, the car in front of me. I, I have it somewhere in this room, but I did find it online, and it really is a cheap, like, it's not, it's a cheap knockoff. It's not even, like I said, it's not a Bond license thing at all. Oh, it's from, yeah. It's from a company called Charmers with a Z at the end, so you know it's <laughs> a sign of quality, right? Um, but yeah, this is a Lotus. Uh, it even says Lotus right on the car. Wow. Um, so in case you don't know. Super um, singles. Yeah, it's it's pretty cheesy. Um, it's a it's it's called a vintage play art charmers Lotus Elite. Uh, but yeah, this thing came out like you know whatever it was thirty five forty years ago. Um, I don't have it in the packaging because I I just you know I think even the the green uh, you know um, on the outside where it says Lotus and everything I think that's pretty worn off so it's just pretty much all white now. But that's that's the Bond car that I had as a kid. Um, and uh, it wasn't even a real Bond car, so sad me. For for the listeners, uh, for a third the price of, of this uh, vintage play art Charmers uh, car, you can right now you can find I'm sure online or on pegs in the stores as part of Hot Wheels uh, movie lines. They they yes. do have the Spy Who Loved Me like official licensed uh, Lotus, and then they're. They've done. I feel like they've done a few others as well. Yeah, I think so too. And what's important is they've done actually at least two versions of the car: one with wheels, and one that has the sort of underwater element to oh, it. Oh, so, I didn't know that. Uh, so yeah, you can get both versions of the car. I don't think that's a two pack or anything, but it would be cool if they did that. But um, uh, but separately, you're right. Like those things are like less five dollars or less you know if you find them right so which is pricey uh, for a hot wheels but you're basically paying for the packaging you're paying for the license yeah uh, yeah yeah you're paying for it because it's a bond car well and and they've also <laughs> and that's a sign of quality man if bond yeah, it has is, it, it it's a sign of quality because even though there weren't like you know we've talked about it there's some toys and everything like there was a lot of like product placement and product licensing with bond movies from the get-go like, yes watches and you know, cars and, you know, liquor and clothing and, like, everything that was... And I think that was the one thing that, you know, they they wanted to do, too. It's like, well, if we're going to license this out, we have to license it out to, you know, to fit Bond's sort of right. aesthetic. The you best know? of the best. Exactly. Except for the Heineken commercials. Except <laughs> clearly, <laughs> Clearly, they gave up. Yeah, they were like, no, no, we need money. Yeah. Like, did anybody see License to Kill? We need money. <laughs> So, uh, to wrap this thing up, uh, I mentioned that my favorite Bond movie, and this has been the same for years. Uh, I don't think I've ever given another answer. Uh, My favorite is The Man with the Golden Gun. I I just, I love it. It's got Christopher Lee in it. It's got Hervé uh, Villachez in it. It's, It's fun. It's got Moore, who's the Bond I grew up with. It's for me. It's I think it's the one I have watched the most and can watch anytime because I'm not as much as I love James Bond. I'm not always in the mood for James Bond, 
but that's one that sort of stands out to me as being a particularly fun, watchable movie. Uh, do you have a favorite Bond or, or a few that sort of rotate for you? Um, I'll tell you what. Um, Live and Let Die, Spy Who Love Me are ones that are special to me because those are like my first intro. I can't even tell you which one I saw first. Um, I probably saw them around the same time. They were both, I, I obviously, oh, well, I, I was probably old enough, but I didn't see them in the theater. Um, uh, but, and those two, like, were the ones that made the biggest impressions on me. Like, I was like, man, Bond is awesome. Like, there was just, they had everything that I wanted in a Bond movie that I didn't know it at the time, but now I do. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, so if uh, those elements aren't there. Um, and I love the soundtracks to both of those. I, I would say, both of those soundtracks are ones that I play more than any of the others. Um, so those, uh, I yeah, I don't. It would be tough for me to pick. And then there's plenty others that I love. So don't get me wrong. Yeah, I'm not yeah. saying that I'm not throwing shade on any of the other Bond movies. But uh, and, and I'm not saying that they're quote unquote the best. Um, I'm just saying that those are the ones that you know. I I, I if you if they're on if I'm flipping the channels and TBS or. AMC, like, man, everybody has a license of these things. Yes, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, you never know what channel you're going to see a Bond movie on. Even BBC America. Well, it's a British show. It makes sense, I guess. But, um, uh, you know, whatever's showing them, I'll I'll stop uh, because uh, the, they're fun for me. So I get it. Man of the Golden Gun is right. Like, it's the third one. Um, it's not quite there for me like the other, those other two, but those are, are, are definitely in my wheelhouse. I th- I think you nailed it with the spy who loved me just because if if somebody had never seen a James Bond movie I think that would be the one to show them. It's pretty awesome. It's it's got I mean at the time even now I mean it's it's got everything. Yes. Yes. You know, that you wanted a Bond. The villain's pretty cool. The henchman is, you know, one of the best of all time. Jaws, that's his first appearance. Um, and it's epic in scope. Uh, it's got the car, the gadgets, the action sequences, the car chases. Uh, and that's the one that starts, I believe, with him um, skiing. Um, and then the parachute at the at the beginning. One of the best openings of a Bond movie, I think. Um, and set the like set that up for me when I was watching it. So... I mean, it, and and Rochmore's cool, and you know, I love Barbara Bach as a as a as a Bond girl. I thought yeah. she was pretty awesome. So I've heard some criticisms from her from from other Bond purists or whatever. But that to me at the time, I mean, I was at that you know, I'm at that right age too, twelve, thirteen. Boom, that's going to do it for me. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> Carolyn Monroe's in that one too. Oh, uh, that's so, right. That's I was so, I was actually sitting here as soon as you said Barbara Bach, I was like, which one is Carolyn Monroe in? Yeah, she's in that one too. Yeah. She has an all too brief appearance in that one, um, but she's great. Uh, I always wanted to meet her, and I th- hope to have the opportunity pretty soon because I think she's scheduled to come to a con later this year here. Um, so, um, and then speaking of, you know, it's it's interesting that we're talking about this, but um, uh, on a bit of sad news uh, that we we I woke up this morning to the news that Honor Blackman had passed away. So, um, so we lost Pussy Galore today. Um, which is which is a shame, but she's probably if we're talking about Bond women, like you know the top one of the best. Bond, name. Absolutely. Well, I mean the name alone, right? Yeah, right, right, right. So. Absolutely. 
Well, any final thoughts uh, about Bond, uh, just words for the listeners regarding James Bond? Well, uh, if anybody's still listening to this, uh, I, I don't know if there was any like helpful information, but um, uh, it was fun to talk about. It's always fun to talk about Bond. Um, I think, you know, for a franchise that's been around as long as it has and it's had to reinvent itself, I think it's done a great job. It's probably done that better than almost any other franchise movie franchise in history. Uh, I continue to get excited by Bond movies that come out. I was ex- I'm sad that this one is being delayed. I understand the reasons. So, um, and I hope that they put as much into it as I I hope they you know they could, because I always feel slighted if I don't feel like you know they're I'm getting my Bond for my money. So, um, it's there's a lot to up to, but I think there's a lot of places it can go. So. Uh, I've been excited for the Daniel Craig ones. We haven't really talked about him much. No, uh, we haven't, and I and maybe that just needs to be a separate episode because I've I've got a lot to say about his his era. Yeah, I mean that's that. I'm up for that. I'm certainly up for that to do a, a closer look at that um, because I'm about to rewatch those. So that's <laughs> those are next on my list to to rewatch before the new movie comes out, and this is scheduled to be his last one. So. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, if we want to revisit this, I'm I'm all for that. Yeah, we'll have to do that definitely. Well, Mike, uh, before we sign off, please tell us what you're up to and where we can find you online. Well, you can always find me uh, on newlegendmike.com. That's got uh, that's my official website. It's got a link to all uh, my books and everything else that you want to check out and buy and all that kind of stuff. Please buy, please buy. Um, and uh, and then you can also find me weekly on the Earthstation One podcast. Just go to esonetwork.com or earthstation1.com for that. Awesome. Thanks for coming on and talking James Bond. As always, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much. As I mentioned in the intro, please go and join that Needless Things podcast Facebook group. I hope that this left you wanting to experience some James Bond. Hopefully you're not a psychopath and have to sit down and watch all of the movies uh, in as much proximity as you can, the way that I seem to have to a lot of times. Hopefully you can just pick one of your favorites out and watch that, or watch a couple, watch watch the Roger Moore ones, or you know whichever Bond is your favorite. Uh, hop in there in, in the Facebook group and let us know which one is your favorite. Maybe I'll do a poll. How many how many poll entries can you have? Huh. I'm, go- I'm going to find out just how many poll entries are available. I think that would be interesting. Or may- Ooh. Oh. What about what about the greatest Bond movie of all time tournament? Oh wow! I want see that just wouldn't be as much fun over Skype though. That the the tournaments really need to be in person. I'm gonna take that idea. I'm gonna pluck it off my idea tree. And I'm gonna put it right here in my things for the future pouch because that's how all of that works. Uh, by which I mean uh, my phone notes for future podcast ideas. Oh, I like that one. That could get really heated with the right people involved. Like I said, it would need to be in person. Uh, You guys, times are tough. I know they are. Uh, I I hope everybody's doing okay. As I've said, I I am fortunate that I'm still working, that my income has not changed. Although my expenditures certainly have uh, over the last couple of weeks. 
but uh, I love you guys. Just hang in there. We're going to be okay. Thank you for listening to the Needless Things podcast. You're the best. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, or in the ears of a Trader Vicks employee. Love you. Mean it. Uh Uh-huh.